Can you hear me now? All right. You have been very much on my heart these last, well, actually the whole time, um, ever since God moved us to begin what we're doing, but acutely you've been on my heart these last few weeks, and um, just in prayer and in interaction on how, how can we respond, and um, just as, as part of the Redemption Hill family, this journey is one that we, we do together, we do it as a family, and so I am, I'm honored to be here today and to have a chance to share the word um, and just to spend some time face-to-face. As I have been thinking this week in particular about the passage and about you, um, I've continued to be in prayer, but I have also found myself just really grateful and really um, blessed because as I have looked at this passage and then as I have thought about you, it has just reminded me of God's goodness. In this passage we're going to look at this morning, it says, you know a tree by its fruit, and you know disciples of Jesus by their fruit. The real deal shows up not just by what we say we believe, but how that works its way out in life. And as I have thought about that, I have really been encouraged and blessed and thank God for you and I'm grateful to be part of the same family because as I have thought about you, I think you guys are the real deal. You know, three years ago, almost, a bunch of you said, you know what, we're going we're gonna to move over to La Habra so we can reach a community. It's uh, one thing to talk mission. It's another thing to do it. And a bunch of you have said, I'll step up. I'll serve in new ways. I'll even lead in ways I've never done before because it needs to happen and I'll just answer the call of God. Some of you have joined since that time and you've stepped into that same flow. Some of you have continued to step up. You have all continued to step up for a long time now. As the journey has grown long, you have continued to serve. And um, week after week, whether it's serving the children, or welcoming guests, or leading a life group. Some of you have become truly expert at emptying a trailer and setting up a room, only to turn right around and empty a room to fill up a trailer, and then come back the next week and do it again, and the next week after that, and the next week after that. Why? Because you're trying to serve... Yeah. Thank you, Lynn. You're, you just want to serve Jesus. You serve Jesus by serving his family. You've tried to follow him by drawing close into community where you can bear one another's burdens, where you can stimulate one another to love and good deeds, where you love one another, and in that you show that you are Christ's and that he has the power to transform lives. Those are just some of the things that are the fruit that say you're the real deal. Followers of Jesus. And 
I know you're not perfect. None of us is perfect. I'm certainly not perfect. Redemption Hill is not perfect. Redemption Hill, La Habra is not perfect. But by God's grace, he's doing a work. And as I have thought about this passage and how it really focuses on what it means to be a true disciple and what that looks like, it's just encouraged me to see the fruit, to remember the fruit, and to give thanks for all that you have been and are and all that we as a family, the larger family, have been and are. We're committed to following Jesus. We're committed to following him wherever that takes us. We're committed to reaching the city of La Habra and Whittier and uptown and serving him the best we can. Frail though we are, we have his grace. We have his spirit. He's rescued us and he's doing a work in us and I'm grateful to share that, that journey with you. This morning's passage says that um, when we dig down deep, when we put our roots into Jesus and to what he says and what he does and what he's about, we stand secure. The storm may come, but we stand secure. Now, in our passage this morning, the storm in view is first and foremost that separation that comes when God finally says enough and when his disciples are gathered to him and when those who have not responded to him are separated. But that same reality of sinking our roots down into Jesus is what anchors us in all the storms. When I was here a couple of weeks, what is it, three weeks ago now, when Dennis shared his story, I had a chance to talk with some of you afterwards, and it was hard. It hurt. There was a heaviness. There was a sadness, and that was obvious as people were just processing and grieving and saying how much Dennis and Krista mean and how much Dennis and Krista have um, blessed and how much Dennis and Krista have shaped and what God's accomplished in and through them here. And yet at the same time, there was a a vision that some of you spoke of, a hope that says, you know, as much as that's true, actually, I, I didn't really follow Dennis to La Habra. I followed Jesus here. And as hard as this transition is, I'm still anchoring in Jesus. And that's my encouragement, is that we, all of us collectively here, uptown, Whittier Hills, as we anchor ourselves in Jesus... And as we just continue to serve and love one another, he's going to keep us secure. He's going to accomplish what he set about to accomplish. The one who began the good work will complete it. And this morning, my prayer is, as we look at this passage on what it means to be a disciple and what true disciples look like, that we would be blessed by God, that he would work in our hearts so that we can sink our roots down even deeper into him so that he can anchor us and shape us, encourage us and hold us, guide us and use us. So if you have a Bible, would you open to Luke chapter 6, please? We're finishing the Sermon on the Mount, maybe. Not maybe finishing. Uh, Maybe it's the Sermon on the Mount, maybe it's not. (laughs) Um. Matthew 5 has, 5 through 7 has a more extensive and a little bit differently worded sermon from Jesus, and it's not really clear whether these are the same 
or whether um, these are both similar because Jesus was sharing the same message a lot of places. Maybe Luke and Matthew are taking the same sermon and they are summarizing it, each for their specific purpose. Maybe these are two different occasions. Either way, as Luke lays it out for us, he gives us chapter 6 to say, here's what a disciple really looks like. And the beginning and the end of the sermon focus on drawing a contrast. Starts off by saying, these are the blessed ones, or these are the ones who are favored by God. These are the ones who are the disciples. And it's not by the circumstances of life that you can tell them, because the circumstances of life may actually look different. They may not be in the position that you would think is blessed, and yet they're his, and so they are favored by him, and he will ultimately work for them. And then there's those who have no relationship to him. At the end of the day, they get only what they get in this moment, and that's not much of a trade. And Jesus says, woe, and the woe is, is not a prophetic thundering, it's, it's a brokenhearted cry. There's a contrast, and then it ends in a contrast, saying well, you can build your house on a firm foundation or you can leave the foundation out. A contrast. It actually starts this context, if you look in verse 17, a great crowd of his disciples are there and a great multitude of people. So there's this dual focus, but he's really talking to his disciples with the multitude in mind so they can audit the course and learn and, and perhaps respond. And as he unfolds the sermon in the middle... The logic of it is something like this. You are God's people. You're the blessed ones. So let that be your anchor and live that out. Live out who you are. Because part of what it means to follow Jesus, part of what it means to be a disciple is that I'm anchored in God's disposition towards me and that anchors me regardless of what my particular life circumstances are like. So when he calls me to love my enemy... It's because I am favored by God and he's going to empower me that I can do that. And when he calls me to the things he calls me to in this morning's text, it's the same thing. So as we're looking at this text, my encouragement is that we would just ask ourselves three questions. The first question is, how's my heart? And we're going to see him unpack that really in verses um, 37 through 42. The second question is, how's my mouth? And he's going to unpack that in verses 43 through 45. And the third question is, how's my follow-through? And that's verse 46 through 49. So if you just want to follow along, how's my heart? There's the first place. I'm a disciple of Jesus. I'm a follower of Jesus. What's my heart like? And in verse 37, he starts off, judge not, and you will not be judged. Condemn not, and you will not be condemned. Forgive, and you will be forgiven. Give, and it will be given to you. Good measure, pressed down, shaken together, running over, will be put into your lap. For with the measure you use, it will be measured back to you. He says, basically, he says, stop judging, stop condemning. And that will, the, the response to that is God won't judge or condemn you. Now, he's not making an argument to say, do this, and now God will do this, because the greater context is all about the heart and who is a true disciple. So he's saying, do this as a true disciple, because God's not going to condemn you. God's not going to judge you. Don't be that kind of person towards others. Instead, be characterized by forgiveness and a generous spirit. 
When it talks about forgiveness, it's not a one-time thing. It's a characteristic. When it talks about giving, it's talking about a, a generous spirit of heart. And he's saying, be characterized by those things and look for God to be the one who blesses you. Right? He says that in the last section where it says, it will be given to you, pressed down, good measure, pressed down, shaken together, running over, it will be put into your lap. The measure you measure with, that's the measure you'll get back. That's a proverb from the day. But the picture is, is from the marketplace. You'd go and buy grain and you'd fill a sack with grain. And first off, you needed to know that the merchant had an accurate measure. They weren't cheating you. And then when they're filling your sack, they're supposed to tamp it down so that the grain fills in everywhere. And he's saying, in fact, what's going to happen from God is as you live out this life that he's called you to, he's going to pour out the blessing so much that your sack overflows. And it's going to be poured into your lap. And they would wear these billowing robes with a sash, and you could sometimes make a pouch that you would carry stuff in. So it's a picture of abundance. It's a picture of saying, you're anchored in God. You're anchored in his blessing. So be generous-hearted towards others. Be gracious toward others. The, the verse just prior to our passage says that's actually our family resemblance, if you will. Verse 36, be merciful even as your father is merciful. Look like your dad. Have this kind of heart. Have this kind of disposition. He goes on, verse 39, he also told them a parable, and this is probably another proverbial truth that they commonly spoke of in that day. And he just takes it and says, this is, you, you know this proverb, you know this story, it's true, right? He says, can a blind man lead a blind man? Will they not both fall into a pit? And he, he's, he's using physical visual impairment as a metaphor for spiritual reality. His point is not physical blindness, but he's using that as an illustration. The point is spiritual blindness. He says, be careful who you follow. Because if they can't see rightly, if they don't understand spiritual reality, they'll lead you into a ditch. And then he says, a disciple is not above his teacher, but everyone when he is fully trained will be like his teacher. Be careful who your teacher is because that's what you're going to become. In fact, that's your goal. So Jesus is looking out on this group of people, his disciples, and he says, be careful who you follow. Be careful who your teacher is because that's who you're supposed to be like. What he's saying is keep your eyes on me. Keep your eyes on me. They lived in a culture where there were a lot of different viewpoints on how to live a godly life and what that meant. And there were people who had basically compromised everything for the sake of comfort and power and security. And there were others who'd completely dropped out of society and said, it's a complete mess. I'm out of here. I'm waiting for God to show up. And the rest of you literally can go to hell. And then there were those who were trying to live within the culture, saying, let's all be pure. Let's all be right so that God can work among us, but they lost their footing and pretty soon it became, well, I'm pure, I'm right, you're not. And it became a, a game of deciding who's in, who's out. And Jesus is saying, don't pay attention to that. Watch me. I have the spiritual insight to lead you forward. You need to become like me, your teacher. And bringing it back to the context... Remember what it says about Jesus in, in, in 1 Peter? We were there a little while back. 
Oh, really smart. I put that on upside down. Be careful if your teacher is blind. Oh, sorry. Um, here's what it says in 1 Peter 2 when, about Jesus. When he was reviled, he did not revile in return. When he suffered, he did not threaten, but continued entrusting himself to him who judges justly. Jesus says, watch me. I know the world is going to be harsh towards you, and there's going to be a lot of challenges. Understand that your favor comes from God. He's going to anchor you. He's going to secure you, and you can actually respond in love, not just to the people around you, but to those you're having a real hard time with, even to your enemies. So you don't have to be harsh. You don't have to be condemning. You don't have to be critical. In fact, keep your eye on me. When Jesus was literally being nailed to the cross, he was praying out, Father, forgive them. Jesus says, you're mine, and you live in this world a life of love, not just for those who are like you, but for everybody, and that's what makes the difference. That's what a true disciple actually looks like. He goes on. Look in verse 41. Why do you see the speck that is in your brother's eye, but not notice the log that is in your own eye? How can you say to your brother, Brother, let me take out the speck that is in your eye when you yourself do not see the log that is in your own eye? Obviously, you can't have a log in your eye. It's a hyperbole. He's exaggerating. He's saying, look at this ridiculous picture. It's like you got a log in your eye and, and you're trying to say you got a little tiny sliver and, and, and don't do that. Don't do that. You hypocrite, first take the log out of your own eye and then you will see clearly to take out the speck that is in your brother's eye. He's calling us to be humble about ourselves and gracious towards others. And this whole section, if you notice those those promises, it says don't judge and you won't be judged. It's not don't judge your brother and your brother won't judge you. We all know that's not true. Don't condemn your brother and your brother won't condemn you. (laughs) Yeah, good luck with that. It's about God. God's the one you're looking to. How you interact with other people is anchored in how God is going to support and care for and bless and treat you. And so he's calling us to live the reality that he's already working out in us. He's already blessing us. He's already favoring us. He's already securing us. He says, now you can actually live with one another in this extraordinary way. But you have to be humble about yourself And you have to be gracious toward others. So let's just stop and ask ourselves a couple of questions here. This is about us, right? Be humble about yourself. Search yourself. This is not me telling you what you should do or you telling me what I should do. This is about each of us saying, okay, Lord, where where am I? And what do you want to tell me here? And one of the foundational questions that this passage asks is what kind of heart do I have? Is my heart fundamentally critical? Is my heart fundamentally harsh and judgmental? Is my heart fundamentally arrogant where I see myself through one lens and everyone else through another? Or is my heart gracious where I actually see that my brother or sister actually does have faults? Nobody would deny that. But where I actually say, but it's about me first. It's about me first, saying, Lord, 
Search me. Help me to follow you. Help me to be like you. Remove the log from my own eye. How am I doing there? Maybe God wants to do a work in your heart. It's, it's easy, especially when we're struggling with something, to lash out. It's easy for me to look at myself through a different lens than I look at you. And um, Jesus is saying, I want you to be able to respond in humility and graciousness. Last week at um, Whittier Hills, I asked Max Caesar if he would share a testimony. Last week's passage ended talking about loving your enemies. This week's talking about being one who forgives. They actually dovetail very nicely, and his testimony works as well with this week's text as it did last week's. And some of you will know Max. He's 94 years old. He, I think, is probably our oldest member who's active. And um, he got up, and he shared his story. And he was reticent. I've asked him before, and he's been reticent because he doesn't want anyone to think he's anything special. It's just a guy following Jesus, stumbling forward, but God's grace is active in his life. And he's, he was in ministry for 70 years. He's followed Jesus for I don't know how many years, but a long time. And he's had a lot of hard things, and he's stumbled around, and he's also seen God do glorious things. And he got up, and he just said, you know, God is good all the time, and by his grace, he's working in my life. And then he shared a story. Many years ago, his daughter, it was about his daughter Sharon, and he, he went to the door one morning at about 5.15 and answered, and there was his son-in-law and his son-in-law's father and one of the elders from church, the church he was pastoring at the time, a little odd to be greeted at 5.15 in the morning, and they didn't look happy. They looked very distressed, and his son-in-law looked at him, and he said, Sharon is gone. Now, bleary-eyed and confused, he said, gone where? What do you mean? Where did she go? He said, no, she's dead. And they proceeded to unfold the story that was this, this man murdered her took her from her husband and her family in the prime of her life. She was 24 years old. She was murdered. And Max is faced with that reality to start his day. Devastating. He lived across the street from the church he was pastoring at the time. And so a little later in the morning, he decided to go over there and just spend some time with God. And as he was standing on the street corner ready to cross, just had this thought hit him. It was actually an attack one of the things Satan does is he accuses. And it was this. You can't say it now, can you? And he tried to think what that could mean. You can't say it now, can you? It came back to him. And he remembered that years prior, his older daughter had died, hadn't died. She had been deathly sick. And he had prayed and offered her to the Lord. And he said, Lord, please heal her. But whatever you do, I trust you. You're good, and I'll serve you. Now he's lost his number two daughter. And this thought keeps coming to him. You can't say it now. He went into the church and he sat down on the front pew to pray and he just broke down sobbing. For the longest time, that's all he could do. And then he looked up and sitting right at the front of the church, just a few feet from him, was the communion table. 
And we know what's on the front of most communion tables. In remembrance of me. And it suddenly struck him that he was just like the guy who had killed his daughter. Because of his own sin, God had let his son die. And that really struck him deeply. And he just sat with that for quite a while, praying and wrestling. The pain was still deep. But finally he got to the place where he could cry out and say, God, I don't understand. I don't know why. I don't know how this is working out. or I just don't know what to make of this, but I know that you're good. And I trust you, even if I don't understand. And I'll serve you. Now, that's a powerful thing when this 94-year-old man who's holding himself up on the stool that I use for my stuff is sharing his heart like that and all the emotion is coming back. And it was a God moment. It wasn't that Max is this great guy. It's that Max is God's guy and the disciple of Jesus Christ has the spirit working within him and he was in that moment given grace to live the reality of what Jesus is calling us to here in Luke chapter 6. And he went on and he said, I went to the trial. Every day I sat in the trial listening to this guy until he was convicted and sentenced, and then I went and visited him in jail. And in those days, they didn't have the same kind of partition. They just sat across the table from each other, so they sat him closest to the deputy because they were afraid he might jump across the table and attack the guy. And instead, he sat there and shared the gospel about how God loved him. And the guy jumped up, and he says, I can't take any more of this. I'm leaving. And Max said, well, can I talk to you again? And he amazingly said, sure. So Max came back the next week, and he again talked about the gospel and the love of Jesus Christ. And finally, after he had shared quite a while, the man stopped him, and he says, Mr. Caesar, what do you think of me? And in that moment, all of the anger, all of the hurt, all of the rage, all of the bitterness just welled up within him, and he wanted to tell him exactly what he thought of him. But in that moment, the grace of God began to work in his heart too. And he remembered, and the Holy Spirit gave him the ability to just rest in Jesus. And he looked at him and he says, I hate everything you've done. But Jesus loves you. He died for you. And I'm his. So I love you too. I can't do that in myself, but in Jesus, I love you. And he meant it. By God's grace. And the guy looked at him for a minute and slapped the side of his head and says, I can't handle that, and got up and walked out. Jesus says, you're mine, you're my disciples. He looks out on the crowd. You're the blessed ones, the favored ones, even if life doesn't look like that. And here's what that looks like living out. Looks like you're anchored in God where you're able to be generous because you know he's going to more than take care of you, where you're able to live out this life that I'm putting into you, and where you can be one who responds in grace and who lives with humility of heart, who loves the neighbor, who's forgiving, not condemning. That's what Jesus is calling his disciples to. That's what he says we are and he says, now, by grace, live in that. How's your heart? How's my heart? 
What's God doing in me? What does he want to do? What do I need to surrender to him so that he can work that out? The second thing Jesus focuses on actually helps to understand how my heart is doing. It's not always easy. In fact, Jeremiah says the heart's deceitful and hard to know. (laughs) But there are ways, and perhaps the simplest way to take a shortcut to check my heart is to check my mouth. Look at this next section. For no good tree bears bad fruit, nor again does a bad tree bear good fruit. You see, this is coming from the inside out. This is not about change your behavior. It's about fruit that grows naturally on the tree. A good tree will act this way. A bad tree will act this way. Each tree is known by its own fruit. Figs are not gathered from thorn bushes, nor are grapes picked from a bramble bush. The good person out of the good treasure of his heart produces good, and the evil person out of the evil produces evil. For out of the abundance of the heart, his mouth speaks. He starts by saying, a tree is known by its fruit, and he's saying, your heart, my heart is known by the fruit of my lips. So here's the second question I need to ask this morning. How's my mouth? What comes out of my mouth? What's the communication? Does it show a heart that is harsh and judgmental and critical? Not that there's not a place for truth. There's plenty of places in Scripture that drive that strongly. But what's the heart behind what I say, when I say, and how I say it? It says, check your words. What's coming out of your mouth? The fruit of your lips. So let's stop and ask ourselves a couple of questions. What does fruitful speech look like? Ephesians 4 actually has a lot to say about that. I would encourage you to read that if this is an area that God's stirring for you. It says, be kind to one another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another, even as God, for Christ's sake, has forgiven you. It says, let no unwholesome word proceed from your mouth, but only words that are good for edification. How edifying is my speech? You know, sometimes I'll catch myself with not very edifying speech, talking about something or someone or some situation. And I'll catch myself and go, that's not right. And um, one of two ways I can respond to that, assuming I'm responding rightly, uh, (laughs) first I might joke, I mean that in Christian love, right? Somebody cuts you off in traffic and, oh, edify you, you know. I don't mean in Christian love. Something's wrong with my heart, and I have to say, Lord, forgive me. Lord, forgive me. I've gotten off base. I've I've let something pollute the heart that you're trying to purify. How many of us find it's easier to gossip than just about anything else? How many of us find it's easier to be just down on somebody or something negative and critical? Not just discerning, but actually harsh. How many of us find it easy to run somebody down? That's called slander. We wouldn't use that term because that's such an ugly term, but that's actually, that's actually what we're doing. How often do we, as the children of God, battle with that? What God is saying here, what Jesus wants us to understand is, this is the heart I'm giving you, and one way to check that heart is to check what's coming out of your mouth. And if your conversation is always deviating to the dark, 
If your conversation tends to be critical and negative and harsh, if, if it's easier for you to talk about other people or other things when you don't have any business talking about it, whether you don't even know anything about it or maybe you know but it's not appropriate for you to be talking to this person or that person about it and yet it just comes tumbling out, he says, look at your heart. That's, that's, a, that's, a, that's a lens to see what's going on inside. And it's, it's so destructive when I let that happen. I um, was in a meeting some time back some pastors, not our pastors, different setting. And uh, there was a pastor who made a really harsh statement, actually accused another pastor who wasn't there of adultery. Wow. Well, immediately we said, we better check this out because of the situation. We want to respond in love and we want to respond in truth. And so one of the guys that was there took it upon himself to go meet with this pastor that had been accused, who denied it. His wife denied it. No, that's not happened. I don't know why anyone would say that. Very hurt. And I, I, I want to have a chance to talk to this other pastor so that we can get it right. And my friend went back to the first pastor, and he said, no, I don't need to talk to him. How does that happen? I don't know this pastor well, but... What I do know says, I think this man really is trying to follow Jesus. He's really serious. He's really passionate. He really loves. And yet somehow in this particular instance, he's, he's content to slander his brother and not, not back away from it, even though it's been denied. He won't, he won't go have the conversation that's supposed to be had. How does that happen? It's easy in my old human way to fall into that path. I think that's why Jesus is saying, check your heart. Here's a good way to check and see how God is working in you. Is your mouth changing? Are your words becoming more edifying? Are you building up or are you tearing down? Do you, do you allow yourself to gossip? A while back, I had somebody come up to me and said, how come we didn't do such and such? Very upset about a meeting that had happened. We didn't do this and we should have and, and, and started to go off and I just stopped him. I said, we did do that. We did? Yeah. I started that particular meeting and I spent a fair amount of time and a significant emphasis. We did exactly that. Oh, I wasn't there. <laughs> That's easy. That's easy. When we look at somebody else, we say, Really? And yet, we can fall into the same pattern. What Jesus is saying is, look, I got you. You can afford to let the generous heart of God flow. You can be merciful just as he is merciful. You can be humble without compromising truth, and you can give grace. You know, forgiveness doesn't mean, oh, nothing happened. So get over it. It means something did happen that I have been wronged, and I still forgive. Jesus is saying, the heart that I'm building in you, the heart of a disciple, one way to check it is just to see what comes out of your mouth. How's, how's my mouth? What comes out of my mouth? Is that really what Jesus would want? The last thing he gives us here, how's my follow-through? See, it's all about the heart. How do I check my heart out? Well, I can check my heart out by what's coming out of my mouth, but words alone aren't enough. There's also what what follows? See, look what he says, verse 46. Why do you call me Lord, Lord, and not do what I tell you? 
Okay, that's emphatic. Saying, saying it twice, that means, man, you are really my Lord. I have this strong affirmation. I'm your disciple. I'm following you. You're the Lord. Jesus says, that's fine words, but what's the life behind it look like? Everyone who comes to me and hears my words, verse 47, and does them, I will show you what he is like. He's like a man building a house who dug deep, laid the foundation on the rock, and when a flood arose, the stream broke against that house, could not shake it because it had been well built. But the one who hears and does not do them is like a man who built a house on the ground without a foundation when the stream broke against it immediately. It fell and the ruin of that house was great. Jesus says it's, it's about how I respond. Now, understood in context, we need to, we need to make some clarity because there's a couple of errors I think we can fall into that are pretty destructive and they're equally wrong. One is the moralist who says it's all about what I do. That's a lie. That's not biblical. And it's easy to fall into that. The other is the self-indulgent perspective which says it has nothing to do with what I do. That's a lie. It's biblically indefensible. It's not true. Grace is I do what I am. That's what the sermon is about. God is, is making me this kind of person and then he's calling me to live that out. So how I respond matters, but it's not something I well up with my own strength and my own moral fortitude. It's something that comes because I'm Christ's and his Holy Spirit is working within me and his grace is working within me and he doesn't develop all of that here, but it's clearly woven through this context and as Jesus' ministry goes on and as the apostles clarify things even more for us, it becomes real obvious. That's what we're called to is we're called to be those who are decisively following Jesus but it's not this willing up from within ourselves just to do something. It's about letting the Holy Spirit draw us forward and then saying yes. And, And Jesus is saying, You know, if you want to check your heart, you can look at your words and you can also look at the outcome of your life. What's the pattern? It's one thing to say, Lord, Lord. What does it actually look like? Are you actually following? Because that's the one who stands in the storm. And in this context, the storm is first and foremost the judgment of God. Because remember, he's talking to his disciples and he's making this distinction. Some of you are blessed, you're favored, and some of you are actually to be pitied because you're getting all you're going to get right now. And so that's the primary context. But even as we follow Jesus, those of us who are his disciples, there's an application that applies to all kinds of things in our lives where we say, Lord, help me to anchor in you so that I can stand in the storms. And that that anchoring is continually reinforced as I learn to say yes to the Holy Spirit. As I learn to respond, it's easy, it's easy, it's easy for me, maybe, maybe it's not so easy for you, but it is easy for me, because I'm always in the Word, and I'm always talking to people about the Word. It's easy to, to traffic in truth, and leave it there. And it's supposed to sink its way down into my life, into my heart, and, and actually change me. I was reading a, a, an account of a, a Christian who had come to faith recently in a hostile country in Africa 
where there's not a lot of believers. In fact, he didn't know any other believers. And he'd been reading the Bible because he managed to get one, and he'd been hearing some things on the radio, and he'd come to faith in Christ, and he was following Jesus, and he was growing increasingly passionate. But he had this concern because he kept reading about baptism over and over again, and he wanted to be one who actually followed Jesus, not just thought about it. And one day he was walking along the side of a lake, biggest lake in his country, one of the biggest in Africa, and he's on a cliff above the lake, and he keeps walking up to the edge and looking at it, and he keeps going back, and he's wondering, how am I going to be baptized, and Lord, what do you want me to do? And he keeps walking up and then back, and finally he just says, I'm going to do it, I'm in. He says yes to the Holy Spirit, and he backs up, and he takes a running leap, and as he is falling towards the water, he says, I baptize myself in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And he was all in. He was all in with God because he just said yes. Said yes to what the Holy Spirit was prompting him to do. That story was uncovered because shortly after that he found some Christians and his story began to get communicated. But I think what Jesus is is saying is, look, you're mine. I favor you. doesn't matter what your life looks like right now, the circumstances of the moment, you're blessed. And because you're anchored there, because I'm doing this work in your heart, I just want you to be the one who's able to love, always love, even your enemies. I want you to be the one who can be forgiving and who can be gracious. I don't want you to be the one who's critical and harsh and self-aggrandizing and self-protective. I want you to be the one who's edifying, who has the fruit of the lips that show a heart that's being transformed. And I want you to be the one that actually just says yes to the Holy Spirit as he leads This morning, I don't know what God's speaking into your heart. But whatever it is, he wants you to say yes to him. And you may be here this morning, and you may not actually have a relationship with Jesus Christ. And he says, I want you to become my child. I want you to to learn what that means, and I want you to experience my grace, my love. And he wants you to say yes, and that's lies within you, whether you'll do that or not. But I know that the overseers are going to be here after the service. I know there are people around you that would love to talk with you. Explore that and say, what does it look like to have God come in and change my life? Some of you are sitting here and and God's speaking to whatever in your life. Maybe he just is saying, hang in there. I've got you. Maybe he's saying, hey, here's an area that I want you to listen and I want you to respond to. Maybe he's put his finger on a a struggle, or even a sin. And at the end of the message, Jesus says, it's, it's not just the one who hears, but the one who says yes. So my question is, will we say yes in this moment to whatever God's doing and let him by his spirit and by his grace complete the work he's begun? Lord Jesus, thank you. Thank you for your grace and your mercy. We want to walk in that. We ask you to help us as your disciples. Lord, just help us, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen. This morning, if I could invite the usher.